This is The Art Life. Hello, I'm Sandra Robinson Burns, founder of Heroin Training, where we learn to be the protagonists of our lives through my essays and podcasts like this one. This episode asks 100 books a year? And also, TBR or not TBR. And if you know what that means, you know exactly what that means. And if you don't, that stands for to be read pile. Do we want to write reading lists or go with the flow? We'll get into it all in just a moment. But first, I must introduce my co-host, actress, activist, bookworm, Grace Gordon. Grace, how is your art life? My art life, besides bookwormy as ever, um, my art life is expanding, Zandra. I can feel it expanding. I am, I have a lot of momentum right now, and I really think it is in part because I started hypnosis. Uh, I felt a call to start hypnosis. A friend of mine um, is just a brilliant like self-love coach and and hip, uh, hypnotherapist. I've talked about her on the show before, Amelia Fortes, because um, Amelia and I did a podcast episode that's sometimes referred to on this show. But anyway, I have felt the call to reach out to Amelia because I just, I like so often happens in this show, I went in for one thing and I'm already getting something else out of it just like we tend to meet to talk about one topic and discover something new. So I originally reached out to Amelia because I have, over the years, developed a vocal block. Um, I used to sing, I grew up doing musical theater, like that was the, my number one, and I had a, I have a secret past as a singer-songwriter that I sometimes mysteriously allude to. Um, but I, I don't sing anymore and I even feel like I can't, uh, I've developed this like totally psychological vocal block and, um, I decided to tackle it through hypnosis. Um, I reached out to Amelia and in our sessions slash our consult, I realized that even bigger picture, I wanted to I wanted to reprogram my subconscious around ceilings that I give myself. That's the imagery I've been using. Like, I have these ceilings over how good things can be or what is possible for myself. Um, and I, you know, in my art life, I think some some ways that that shows up is like, is like being really grateful that I'm I'm making money through acting and modeling uh, this year more than ever, and sort of staying in the same place with that. It's like you've reached this huge uh, accomplishment where you're able to pay your bills, and then things just sort of stay where they're at. Um, and I, I just started noticing, even through talking to Amelia, before we even began the hypnosis, that, huh, I kind of have these ceilings over myself that I don't know where they came from and and I I don't know the reasons they 
have stuck with me for so long, but I want to reprogram my subconscious around how good things can be or what I am able to have in my life or what I'm able to do, like the singing going away. And um, all of a sudden, I mean, my, my mood has been so much better since starting this and like I've just felt so much lighter and more positive and it's a noticeable shift. It has been a noticeable shift. And I, this is in no way an ad, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not advertising anything at all, but I'm amazed at how much this has already been working for me. And even hilariously, I will just say, out of nowhere, I got an audition that is tomorrow for, um, for a, a, a show. It's the part's great for me and it doesn't really matter, but there's singing involved in the audition. And if I even got this in front of me two weeks ago, I would have been like, I'm not ready. I can't do this. I'm not trained enough. And I got it today and I need to tape it tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, this is good. I can do this. No problem. And I just, I want to tell you about this, Zandra, because I love self-development and I love therapy and I love all of these things that I do to work on myself, but I've discovered this totally new tactic that is all about the subconscious and I, I feel like the momentum of my life and the ceilings that I put over myself expanding and it's a magical time. Ooh, so excited for you. What stands out to me is that it sounds like you are so clear with what the block is. You've even given it the visual of a ceiling. And you mention hypnosis, which I'm not very familiar with outside of the realm of going to magic shows. And I'm wondering what, what magic or what else does hypnosis add that helps you through this clarity that you've already established? So hypnotherapy is definitely super different than like show hypnosis or like these sort of um, performative versions of hypnosis. Hypnotherapy is like tailored to you specifically in what you need and you have a trusted person guiding you through in different ways. And um, obviously Amelia could explain all this much better than I can, but the the thing that really struck me when she explained it to me is that our actions and our thought patterns are ruled, 88% ruled by our subconscious. Only 12% of our decision-making is made through our conscious mind. And you can see when you like go on autopilot, like when maybe you drive and you don't have to think about the directions anymore. Like you just show up one place and you don't remember how you got there. There are little ways in which we see this happen. I remember when I lived back in Philly, like sometimes I would find myself in the Barnes and Noble cafe and I would not know how I got there because I, <laughs> I didn't plan on showing up there. But I just spent so much time there that it was just so programmed in me to make that the place I ended up on my walk. And I would always laugh because I would be like, wow, this is just programmed in, huh? So if our subconscious rules 80 per 88% of our thought patterns and actions, 
That's why even if we are conscious of maybe some self-destructive patterns we have or or negative beliefs that we have worked really hard consciously to to change, we still could repeat the same patterns over and over unless we're able to get to that 88% of the iceberg, you know, that 88% that's under the water. And I I, I love the way Amelia explained it. And I'm, honestly, I'm doing a poor job of it because this isn't what I teach or do for a living. But um, the way that she explained it made me realize that like, yes, I can intellectualize so many of the ways that I can still be self-defeating or I can intellectualize why certain relationships turn out a certain way, right? But the fact remains that, you know, if, if you keep doing things the same way or you you find yourself leaning on old patterns or or you know in my case you find yourself having this like physical manifestation of maybe an insecurity um there's deeper work to be done that can't always be done through just like intellectual study or talk therapy and i you know this is this is something that is working for me obviously i'm not prescribing this to anyone or even recommending it because i don't know what you need but I am so excited right now because I really feel it working. This this idea of the subconscious and paying more, or I guess not paying more attention to it because that we've just established you can't really, but to uh, understand the the role that this is that the the imbalance of the subconscious and the conscious mind. That's something that I've been thinking about a lot too especially at the end of the year as people are setting resolutions and something that I did last year that's relevant to this episode is I didn't set anything quantifiable. I set a few intentions and for the most part, let them go. So one of them was to enjoy reading. And I started to assign habits and assign actions to assisting myself in enjoying reading. But actually, it worked the most when I just reminded myself of that intention and let everything else work itself out. So for me, the reminder was writing it down a lot and having the words visible to me. And it sounds like hypnosis is one of those other tools that you can use to make sure that this, that a certain idea sticks. Yeah. And I love what you just said here because that shows up in so many areas of my life where if I hyper fixate, even on a really healthy intention, it's, it's really difficult to have it materialize or to to make the lesson stick it's all about some sort of letting it go or some sort of trust some sort of setting the intention and then allowing that to come to you instead of you know pushing to check off a bunch of things every day that will make you enjoy reading you know like there there's something about the release the letting go that you're saying that I think hypnosis is giving me right now. And this is, you know, in some ways, much of what we talk about 
on this show. Zandra, how is your art life? My art life is disciplined. And this is coming off of when in our last episode, when we recorded last, I described some of the chaos in my life, including illness and things that are happening in the world. And it it put me off balance. And so for the past few days, I've been returning to the systems and the structures that I set up for myself. And I'm enjoying the benefits and being reminded of how they work. And actually, it has to do with what we were just talking about, with setting intentions and letting them sink in and do their work, where something that I do every day is I plan the night before. And I read somewhere that if you plan the night before, it's even better than planning the morning of, because while you're asleep, your brain will work out solutions for you to get the things done that you need to do. It's like sending a signal um, of this is this is what needs to happen. And then I wake up feeling more focused when I do that. So I've been being really disciplined with following through on the things that I know work for me, such as walking my dog by eight o'clock and starting my writing by nine o'clock and sitting and doing my dedicating time to my art and not leaving early and a really important one is not checking messages and emails until that period of working on my art is done. So I want to ask you, because I have never done this before, when did you start doing your planning the night before? And did you notice a change once you started that habit? It was so long ago that I can't remember, but I... I do notice it when I am sick or something, and so I don't feel like planning the night before, and I'm like, oh, I'll see how I feel tomorrow. And actually, that's something that I'm figuring out the balance between now, where, for instance, I found a really great movement studio where I go to yoga classes, and I want to respect what my body will want on the day. So I don't like to plan out too far in advance. I'm going to go to this class a a week from now because I don't know how my body will be then. Um, But I've also realized that it doesn't work to just say, oh, when I feel like it, I'll go. And so a compromise that I am working with this week is I looked at the calendar, looked at my calendar, looked at their schedule and saw which classes fit in best with my time table anyway. And then I am not pen, I'm not putting them down in pen. I'm putting them down in pencil. And closer to the time, I'll decide whether or not it's the right fit for me. I love the imagery here of I'm not putting it down in pen. I'm putting it down in pencil. Because I don't think you've ever said that on the show before. And... It makes me want to go buy a pencil because I don't know that I even have one. I'm living with an iron grip over my pen. (laughs) (laughs) 
full disclosure, I actually use erasable pen. So it's something in between. Genius. I, yeah, I actually, I have, I can't really use permanent ink on my schedule because stuff changes, stuff moves around. Well, and I'm not surprised that you, the queen of daily rituals and daily life, have worked out this impeccable system. And I'm so glad that you shared it with me today. I'm I'm really grateful for this. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. We'll talk planning anytime. I know you will. And I, I tend to be a little more chaotic and I could use some of that discipline, especially during a week like I'm having right now where things are expanding and there is so much momentum. Um, I think finding finding the structures to keep me grounded and sane could be really useful. So thanks, Zandra. So today we are talking about reading goals and last so last episode we presented a couple of passages as a debate and then realized that we we weren't really debating we agreed and were more deciding on the nuances between different situations and so this episode we picked a topic that we're confident that we disagree with in our personal practices and that is in setting a number to your reading goals. So Grace, since 100 books a year is your thing, do fill us in on what that means for you. I would love to. Um, so my, my reading goal started, I would say in 2013, when I started working at Big Blue Marble Books in Philadelphia. Shout out to indie bookstores. Um, I think I got a Goodreads account around then, and I set a reading challenge number, which was probably 52. And then over the years, that went up to 75. And then I had a book podcast, and in part in an effort to keep up with my co-host at the time, who was just a voracious reader, I ended up raising the bar, raising the number again to 100 books per year. And that's where it's been for the past couple here. So that's the story of where it started. I say on the show, I've said multiple times, I believe, that my preferred my preferred social media is Goodreads. Um, and that continues to be true. I don't have the the competition feeling so much when I go on there and see what other people are reading or see how far ahead they are or far behind they are in their goals. I more just like seeing what people are reading and cheering people on if they're aiming for something or just discussing what they're reading. But I was thinking in preparation for this episode, I was thinking, why do I love this? Because we, we do talk so much on this show about not obsessing over rigid goals, about enjoying processes, about being in flow, and that's what this show is. And yet this is a, a habit that I stick to, or this is a, 
a remnant of like goal-oriented, product-oriented living that is still a very big part of my life, right? So why do I enjoy it? And I realized, in my life, I do like tracking. I like tracking what I read. I like tracking what movies I've seen. I like tracking television, all of it. I do. I just love keeping a keeping a record. And if you're on my Patreon, I love sharing what my favorite things are every week. But in my life, my art life, I am expected to be caught up on television. I'm expected to be caught up on film. There is truly an ex- it's not it's not my own self-imposed pressure like my agents and manager will say to me you have to watch everything that's a thing that's said in hollywood and honestly it's it's true like i i do feel that so many of my conversations with my peers with new colleagues with new friends are about the movie that just came out that week, the show that is getting all the buzz, and I have to be able to keep up with that. It is part of my job to keep up with that. So I easily meet a hundred movies seen per year. I easily meet, well, I don't know what number of shows, but some ghastly, (laughs) some outrageously high number of shows watched per year and as fun as that sounds and I do joke around about how fun it is but that my like job is to watch tv as fun as it is it is work I'm thinking about the acting choices I'm thinking about editing and soundtrack I'm thinking about casting when I watch these things and I realized in preparation for this episode that maintaining the hundred books a year goal is an act of self-care for me. I don't have to read a hundred books a year to keep up with my colleagues. In fact, people are shocked when I tell them how much I read. And it's a really important part of my identity now. Not just the meeting of the goal, but the prioritizing this space where I go for a walk with an audiobook or where I stay at home and read, where I get lost in a book in the middle of the night, those those moments are a priority for me and I'm able to prioritize them because I set the 100 book per year goal. Like, I have this goal that I want to meet and by setting the number, I make myself do it. But the 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 goal, the reading, the action, it's an act of self-care. It's not work. It's not for anyone else. It's not to impress anyone else or compete with anyone else, which is why I don't have weird feelings about Goodreads or about um, comparison with others. It's, oh my gosh, I get to have this time. I get to prioritize this. And it has nothing to do with actor life. It's just about me, Grace, who I am as a person, and connecting to my roots as a bookworm. So there's my unintentional monologue that I just went into (laughs) (laughs) about reading as my self-care and why having a hundred book 
goal every year, which might sound steep or might sound like laborious, is actually like the nicest possible thing I could do for myself. I think the monologue is necessary because too often I think we hear these numbers and, and goals thrown around and it's such a personal thing that I find it really, I, I feel like I understand it more hearing the explanation from you. And what stands out to me is that what I find really interesting about how you have quantified both books and movies in the same uh, in the same format is that in a sense you are equating self-care with work so watching a hundred book watching a hundred movies per year is part of your work but also taking care of yourself which for you comes through reading is just as important and I think it could be easily misconstrued not just for an audience but like within myself that staying up to date on on television and movies is my relaxing time because it's not it's just not Sandra mm. like and every actor i know is the same way we are thinking about casting and editing and acting choices when we're watching these things we're uh, my roommate Katra and i are like googling each actor because we either know them in person or know them from something else and we're excited i mean we love our work and we love this industry and the research and the conversations after a movie are part of the fun but it is work it's not play and i'm lucky enough to to live a life and have a career that that is both that's certainly both i love you know i love acting and i love going to the movies but it's a different part of my brain that is engaged when i'm at the theater or watching tv or going to the movies and i i feel like the hundred book goal is like just for me it's interesting because for me watching tv and movies is more a part of my required work than reading is even though i'm a writer because i i podcast about tv and film with my sister junie on our other show what's your favorite part and so it's a very different experience watching high school musical the musical the series as a fan as it is watching it to talk about and i think the difference for me is that or the difference between my my work with tv and film versus yours grace is that you have an expectation to watch as much as you can and be as familiar be familiar with as much as you can whereas when i'm covering a show it's to know that episode really well. And so I'm not necessarily watching more, but I'm watching in a more, uh, and, and I can relate more to what you're describing with the studious part of it, of really studying the studying the 
the film and the actors and all the details around it. So both with the parts of my work that involve film and television and the parts of my work that involve reading, for me, the number doesn't really appropriately measure against the aims that I have. So going back to writing, it doesn't really serve me well to get through as many books as possible. Actually doesn't count. I'm an essayist and I read a lot of other essays. And if I don't read every essay in a collection, then it doesn't go down on my list of completed books. So there are so many books that I've read most of or part of or even books that I have are are favorites of mine and I felt like reading them and read 50 pages of them and then satisfied that need. So these what's important for me is that I am reading but not that I'm finishing books. So I'm wondering Grace how does that kind of how does that kind of unquantifiable reading factor into your challenge? It definitely encourages me to be a finisher of something like a book of essays, even if I don't think I want to. Um, because I have the goal, I then feel that I'm, you know, in, I, if I'm, if I, if for example, in our secret essay reading book club that we have, you and I, um, <laughs> you and I will surprise, we'll, we'll say, hey, let's read this essay and discuss it with each other. And usually I will go get the collection that it's in from the library and then I will read the whole thing because I want to log the book. I do. Um, I want to put the whole thing down. But there are also not advantages, but there are discoveries within that. So, for example, I I read the collection In Favor of a Sensitive Man by Anais Nin earlier this year because you and I wanted to read that essay. And because I, I wanted to read the whole thing and log it, I read the whole book, the whole collection. And I discovered a bunch of travel writing at the end of the collection that I absolutely loved. And I don't think of myself as interested in travel writing. I just It's just not something that occurred to me as something I was interested in. And it was ended up being my favorite part of the collection. And I was so happy in that moment because if I didn't have the goal, I would have just read the one essay or just read a couple that interest me by their titles. So in that way, I, it's, it's yet another reason that the, the reading goal works for me because it forces me to complete things or uh, experience stories or essays that I didn't think I would be interested in. And so I will add, from my perspective, a recommendation to befriend people like Grace who do this so that... Uh, I have benefited from your recommendations because I didn't read the whole collection, but I'll ask you, which ones should I, do you think I would like? And something that I, that was a game changer for me this summer, for my birthday, I gifted myself a 
reading with my favorite astrologer, Julie Everett. And almost as an afterthought, when she was hanging up the phone, she said, oh, and make sure you don't read too much. She said, I, I know you love reading, and I love reading too, but you, you have su- you're such heavy earth in your chart that reading can really weigh you down. So the recommendation that she gave me, because I'm a writer and also because writing is good for me astrologically, apparently, which is validating, is she said, make sure, quantify my reading by how much I write. So don't read more than I'm writing. And this was so liberating because I felt understood in how I feel sometimes when I'm reading, which is bogged down and overwhelmed. And I noticed I was on a literary road trip with my artist friend, Anna Claire, and she is, she reads, uh, she's one of my, my best reader friends and in terms of quantity and quality. And she was just reading constantly throughout the entire trip. And I, I kind of envied it, but then I also realized she, reading had a different impact on her than me. And she was reading a book that she couldn't stand and kept complaining about it and was like, why don't you stop reading it? And she was like, no, because I, I can finish it. And I could t- I could really tell that it wasn't impacting her in the same way that it would be impacting me if I were reading a book that I didn't like. And it's sort of how she was describing it was similar, Grace, to how you were describing finishing the essay collection, even if it wasn't what you would have signed up for at the beginning of the book. Um, not necessarily in a bad way, but in a surprising way. And she was, she wanted the completeness, but it wasn't such a burden for her as it feels like it is for me. And I do want to add that like, I, I absolutely believe that you should quit on books if you don't like them. Like, your time is your most precious resource and no one should finish things out of obligation. I mean, don't get me started on the American school system and the classics that are assigned that kids don't relate to and then develop a hatred of for reading because of. Anyway, <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I think the, the great takeaway here for me is that the way that we have structured our reading time is all about really knowing ourselves and honoring our own needs and it just happens to be that our needs are met in opposite ways but i was reflecting on on the idea of setting a number goal and i realized that i actually do this with theater one year um it might have even been 2013. It was around then that I set a goal to watch two plays a week. And this was when I was a student theater critic. And so I had the opportunity to do this. And it really, it it was, it impacted me in a similar way that you are describing your books as self-care goal helps you where it would help me prioritize doing something that I loved that wasn't completely related to my main focus as, as an English student. 
But then also when I wasn't at university, when I was traveling, it challenged me to go and find what plays were on in the city that I was visiting. And those are some of the most memorable times that I've spent in other places is in discovering their local theater. And I still do a version of this every year here in Edinburgh at the Fringe Festival, where I see 30 shows. And the reason that I do is because I've known from years of experience that that's about, that's about my number, where it helps me pace myself when I get really excited and want to watch um, all thousands of the shows that are here. I know I, I have the capacity for 30, so it limits me in that way. But also, it helps me to prioritize it when it, the, I am an audience member. I'm not a critic anymore. And I this doesn't count towards anything. So by putting a number on it, it, it does count in a structural way. Now, am I correct in remembering that you wrote an essay about not setting reading goals anymore? I am writing one right now. You're writing one right now. What a coincidence. This is a unprecedented for this show where I started to write an essay and without telling you what I was writing about, you suggested this topic. And so we had to have a conversation about, huh, is there a conflict of interest here? Because I am working on this in another creative realm. But I think by the time this es this podcast comes out, the essay will have come out too. It's currently untitled, but it is about this topic of my reading intentions, how they've shifted over the years, and what I what works for me now. So that's that should be here now in the future. I cannot wait to read it. And I think one of my favorite things about this show is that when we set a topic, I'll start noticing the many ways that it comes up in my life or even more experiences will come up relating to that topic mm. leading up to recording. And I, I think your essay will just deepen the discussion so much more. So I love that that's happening because I think in little ways it already does happen. These discussions that we have, they show up in our other work so much already. What can I say? It's all about the subconscious. So what is the art life? The art life is pursuing pleasure. What is the art life? The art life is understanding what you need. So, Zandra, you have an essay coming up that I'm very much looking forward to reading. Where can people find your art? You can find my art at heroinetraining.com. You can also receive my writing in your inbox at heroinetraining.com slash subscribe. And it is the end of the month as well as the end of the year. So now is the perfect time to join me in my secret society, Everyday Wonderland, 
which is my weekly one-minute program for finding magic where you already are. You can find out more about that at everydaywonder.land. It's all through my Patreon as well. And what happens is that I will send you a digital postcard once a week, and it ends with a one-minute call to adventure. Grace, where can people find your art? My art can be found at patreon.com slash official. That is where I collect most of my recent acting, modeling, blog posts, podcasts, all of the above. And this week, I, <laughs> I, I want to joke and say, find me on Goodreads, but that's not where you can find my art. It's just where you can find me <laughs> enjoying social media. Um, I am also on Instagram at Grace Gordon Official, and I'm excited about Instagram this week because I got to uh, model for a handbag line that um, this woman I really respect designs and 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 hand makes here. And um, I've really admired her work for quite some time. So that's maybe interesting to those listening and maybe not. But um, I've been posting some photos from that shoot because I love being able to work for, shoot with, uh, celebrate and lift up small local makers and women-owned businesses here in La La Land. So yay. That's where you can find me. I'm excited to check that out during my time-boxed social media checking time of day. (laughs) Well, whether it is morning time or evening time or the small amount of time that you allow yourself to listen to a podcast every day, from my side of the world, I wish you all good night. And from my side of the world, good morning. Bye. Bye. This is The Art Life, a heroin training podcast with Grace Gordon and me, Zandra Robinson Burns. You can find us online at theartlife.show and send letters to The Art Life, care of Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 4292, Valley Village, California, 91607 or email us, theartlife at heroinetraining.com. Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for joining us.